sick of, of the body. And sadly, as we looked at last week, we don't do this well as a church. If we are going to be a congregational church, meaning that the final authority is vested in the congregation, we need to take matters of church discipline very seriously. We have to work hard at it. And I think that if we remember last week's uh, talk about church discipline and putting this brother out, it goes hand in hand with this sermon. Uh, Because remember, the the headings on the Bible weren't in the original uh, text, and sometimes we we don't see how chapter 5 is connected to chapter 6, because we stop at the end of chapter 5, we close our Bible, and we don't open up until the next day or or the next week. Well, these are intimately connected. So this idea of of putting out the the weaker or the, the, the sinful brother, because the name and the reputation of Christ is far more important, and this person's individual salvation is more important than their happiness in the moment. So let's just go back to the end of chapter 5. This idea of judgment uh, comes up. Look at verse 12. Paul says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So even right there, he's kind of gearing up and saying, Listen, it is the church's job to deal with the church. And he applies it specifically in the issue of sexual immorality of, of this man. Right? It's the church's job to deal with sin in its body. God will deal with those outside, but those who are inside the church have a certain standard, a certain decorum, a certain lifestyle that they're called to live. Now he takes that very principle as the new creation of God's people, creating a new family, being, being born again into a kingdom, as we talked about this morning, that cannot be shaken. We are a new reality of God's people the eschatological community reflecting the reality of heaven. And if we're going to live in that community, we have different standards. We have different standards. Chapter 5 is the idea of morality. And chapter 6 is the idea of wealth and how we view money and how we view when we've been wronged. So, the principles of wise judgments. Number one, the first principle I see here in the text is the principle of the new community. Look at verse 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. When one of you have a grievance against another. Now again, he's speaking that that is the the corporate you. When one of you in the body have a grievance against one another. That means when you have an issue with someone in the church. And let's just be honest, if we're going to live in communion with each other, we're going to have issues with each other. You know how I know that? Because i got issues with all of you. No, no. The reason I know that is because I'm married, right, and I love my wife dearly, and some days we have issues with one another, right? Sometimes I have a grievance with her, and she has a grievance with me. And when when we have a grievance with each other, there's a certain way that we handle that, okay? So just hold your, your, your Bible, right, put your hand in there, and just flip back to Matthew chapter 15. Sorry, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Many of you are very familiar with this passage, so I won't spend long here. I just want to read it for the sake of context. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That means if you, one of the ways that we handle our grievances among the people of God, this this principle of the new community, if you are a born-again believer, if you have a grievance with one another, biblically, you go to that person alone. You don't go to everybody else about that person and then say, well, then I'm going to go to that person. Right? That just stirs up strife and dissension in the community. No, if someone has sinned against you, you go to that person. Now, when someone sinned against you, there's a lot of different things, ways you can handle it. You can overlook it, 
and just bear with the person and not bring it up. But if you think it's a, a, a pattern of sin or an issue that's really going to affect your relationship with that person, you go to him or her. And you say, hey, you've sinned against me. And what does the Bible say? If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Notice the language here. You have gained a brother. This is the idea of this new community. Every time you read the Bible, I want you to notice how often it says brother or sister. Brother or sister. We are a family. We are called to live that way. Now remember, we're not called to even think about family in our first in our 21st century context. We're called to think about brother and sister in the family context of the first century, which is far more valuable than the way we see family today. You would not forsake your family then, so we shouldn't forsake our family now. So if someone sins against you, you go to them. If they listen to you, that means that they hear you, understand, recognize their sin, confess it, go lean on Christ who is faithful and just to forgive them of their sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. We have unity restored. Now, if he does not listen, take two or three along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This person's sinning. They don't listen. You take two or three to add a different weight and to add evidence against this person. Okay, it's not a huge group of people, it's two to three. Okay, we're not trying to create a, a big issue in the life of the church. This should, this should be done. Most issues of church discipline should never get to the leadership of the church. Most of it should be dealt with by the people. But you know why we don't deal with it typically? Pretty, if I can just be so bold to say we're cowards, we don't want to confront people in their sin. And we don't want to follow the biblical word. Okay, we have to be faithful to God's text. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Okay, the final authority in the New Testament is the people of God, the church, the assembly, the ecclesia. This is why we are, are, are Baptists. We believe in the final authority as, as a congregation rests in the people of God because the people of God are born again by the Spirit of God and can make wise judgments because we, have, we are part of the new community. Living in, in the Spirit. Truly I say to you, sorry, and if you refuse to listen to the church, even listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three agree on, on, on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them and by my Father in heaven. For two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is among God's people when we deal with grievances against each other. So I think this is a couple things. Number one, you're going to have grievances against each other. Number two, handle them in a, in a biblical manner, right? There would be so much more joy and peace and harmony in the local church if we handled issues with one another with grace and according to Matthew 18. The Corinthian church did not follow the words of Jesus. So we, we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, when one of you has a grievance against another. Now you hear that, what do you think? Matthew 18, go to your brother, bring two or three, take it to the church. That should be just off the top of our head. That's how we handle our issues. Everybody knows that. We're this new community. We are the people of God. We're a family. We deal with our stuff in-house. But what does it say? Does he dare go to law? before the unrighteous instead of the saints. That's one of those, how dare you, right? Strong language, how dare you take this church matter to those who do not know the Lord, those who are unrighteous. How dare you? We are the new community of God's people. We do things God's way. That's that first principle. 
So I, I think what he's establishing here, the, the way our, our, our new community handles morality, sexual morality, and how the, how the new believers handle grievances and sins with each other is a very important thing here. Now remember, we don't know exactly the issue. Paul doesn't give us any specifics in, in regards to this matter. We can think that someone was defrauded money. So this is not just, hey, someone upset me. I was walking down the hallway and the person didn't speak to me and I'm really offended and I want to take them to court. Right? That's not the issue here. The issue is, is that someone uh, defrauded you of money. Now, I don't know about you, but that, 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 that raises the scale a little bit. Okay? So let's say, let's just put a number on it, 10 grand. Let's say you, you made a deal with someone and they wanted to buy one of your, your vehicles from you and it was going to $10,000 and they wrote you a check that they knew was going to bounce. They defrauded you. They took the car and they wouldn't give it back. And instead of going to the, to the church, you, you do what? You go to the law. Okay? I think this is the issue here. So let me just, make, just keep, on, keep on going here. This principles of the new community, number one. Number two, the principle of future reality. Okay? So the, the present new community... The kingdom of God has come. Number two, the principle of future reality. Look at verse two. Paul goes on. He says, or do you not know? By the way, don't you just love how Paul does this? <laughs> he just kind of throws that, do you not know? Like, obviously you should know this, right? My old pastor used to do that all the time. And I, t I kept on trying to tell him, I said, pastor, I don't think they actually know. <laughs> Because half the things that when you ask that question, I didn't know. So be nice. But Paul here is, is just assuming they know there. Well, why does Paul know? Well, Paul spent 18 months there. So Paul taught the congregation at Corinth for 18 months. He probably would have known what he taught them over, over that time. He says, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Now, this is an allusion to, 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 to Jesus' words in Matthew 19 and Luke 22 when he says that the they're going to be seated with the 12 apostles guard, uh, judging the 12 tribes uh, of Israel. So the, the, people, the saints are going to participate with the Lord in judging the nations at the end of time. It says, if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertain to this life? So he, he does the, the principle of deduction. He steps back and says, okay, if this is the way the future reality is going to be, that the, that the saints, the people of God, are going to judge all the world with Christ, and we're also going to be judging angels. You know, we think about those who were, who were cast into, into the dungeons, Genesis chapter 6, 1 Peter um, 3, 2 Peter 2. This, this idea, he's saying if we, we can judge those things at the end of time when the, the authority is final, don't you think we can handle these little things? He's kind of giving us an, a, an eternal perspective here. What really matters? If, if, if that is true way down there in the future, well, then we should deal with these things in a smaller way here. And he says, are you incompetent? Are you unable to do this? Now remember, one of the, the, the challenges of the church at Corinth is that they were very proud. They, they thought they were really wise and intelligent. So Paul's saying that they were incompetent, that they did not have the ability to judge trivial cases, was a pretty strong rebuke. Principle of a new community, principle of a future reality. Three, the principle of the priesthood of all believers. He goes on in verse 4. So if you have such cases, 
Now, he's thinking trivial cases here in, in, in the context. Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. So there's a reason why these individuals had issues. Someone was defrauded, issues of money, and they did not take it to the leaders of the church, but they took it to the outside courts. We think back to chapter 1 and chapter 3. They had the, the, this, these factions that developed. I, have, I, want, I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Paul. I follow Christ. There's these factions that developed. And because these factions had developed, they probably did not have a unified leadership. Right? They didn't want to take it to, to all the leaders because one individual probably didn't want to hear a judgment from, from that one person. Well, remember that the, 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 the leadership of the local church is a plurality of pastors who are called to be one, to lead the congregation in all the matters pertaining to life and doctrine. But these men, did, these men or women did not want to bring them to the church, but who do they do? They, they bring them to the, to the, to the, um, to the world. Look at verse 5. It says, I say this to your shame. Now remember, in chapter 4, he says, I say this not to shame you. Okay? So sometimes Paul says words, I don't mean to shame you. I mean to encourage you as a father. Here he says, this is your shame. How can you as a Christian do this? You should be ashamed of yourself. That's what he means. You should be ashamed of yourselves for not handling yourself like a Christian, like a new community of saints. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers. And, but brother goes to law against brother. And that before unbelievers. Beloved, every single one of you has been born again by the Spirit of God if you accepted Christ. When you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you turn from your sins and you trust in the gospel that Jesus died and rose again and descended to heaven and one day is coming again, he's given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will guide you into all things. He'll guide you into the truth. He will illumine. He'll, he'll, he'll help you understand. That's a powerful thing. You have wisdom to deal with the issues of your life. And if you don't have those in yourself, there are other people in the church who have been walking with the Lord longer who have that wisdom. In God's economy, he raises pastors and teachers to help you with those things. But beloved, I look around the room, there is tremendous wisdom in this room. And think about the Corinthian church. Instead of dealing with this issue, they go outside. Probably because they wanted to get their way. Right? Sometimes we don't go to people... Uh, that we think are wise because we really don't want to hear what they have to tell us. Because they're going to tell us what we don't want to hear. And I think the answer here is, uh, wouldn't it be better for you to lose your money and represent Christ well? Someone, $10,000, I don't want to lose $10,000. $10,000 is a lot of money. I know if I go to my elders, they're not going to want me to bring it to court. They're going to want me to settle the matter. I know they're going to tell me that I want to reflect Christ. Man, I really want that $10,000, and I shouldn't bring it to my church leaders. I'm just going to sue them and leave church and go find another church and be the victim. Be careful who we listen to because every single one of us has been born again. We are wise in Christ. Chapter 2, what does he say? The natural man cannot hear the things of God, but the, the spiritual man can. We, have, we, we know Christ because of the Spirit. He has made things known to us and how we're called to live. So we can, we can handle these matters with each other. We can handle these, these matters. 
principles of the priesthood of all believers. This is the idea of what I was trying to get at this morning about this, that we are God's temple, that we are living stones being built into a spiritual house, that all of us have, have, a, have a task in the body of Christ. You know, too often uh, we look at leaders and says, it's the leader's job to build the church. That is nonsense. It, it, is, it is the leader's job and the member's job to build the church of Christ. So are you building God's church? Not just with your financial resources, but with your time, with your energy, with your prayer. There's so many things that you can do to build up the body of Christ. I pray that we would do so. So, principle of new community, principle of the future reality, principle of the priesthood of all believers, and number four, principle of suffering wrong. The principle of suffering wrong. How do we do that as Christians? Verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another. That's key. Is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Those are rhetorical questions, meaning I think it's better for you to be wronged. I think it's better for you to be defrauded than to bring Christ's name reproach in the world. But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So instead of being defrauded and willing to suffer the wrong done to you, you have responded by that by defrauding and wronging your own brothers. There's something in the scriptures about do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, That's what we're called to do. Now, if you are going to follow Christ in this world, things will not always go your way. You're going to suffer wrong. You're going to be defrauded. He who sees what you do in secret, sees it and will reward you. Do not worry about the things of this day. Worry about honoring Christ. Being a faithful steward unto him. Every situation may, different, may be different, but if you live by those principles that like, like Paul was establishing... We, we would never think in our, in, our, in our wildest dreams that I'm going to sue my, my own blood. Now, we live in the crazy United States of America because you can sue anybody for anything, right? Um, you know, I think I, I have a lawsuit against me for being a redhead somewhere. Um, that's not true. Just, anyway. Lawsuits happen all the time, right? And we even see, you know, teenage actors suing their parents for, for a new parents, it's just ridiculous how many lawsuits are out there. We live in a litigious society. Litigations happen everywhere. Uh, but in, in Paul's day, for him to say someone would sue their own blood, that is unheard of. And that's the implication if you wrong your fellow church member, that you are defrauding and wronging your own brothers. I believe there's an exclamation point there, isn't there? You know, I mean, he, he, he's being emphatic. Don't do this. Well, why can we not do this? Well, because we look at Christ. Just flip over in your Bibles, just, just so I can get it exactly right, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. Actually, let's step it up to verse 20. Now, Peter, not Paul, makes the same application in 1 Peter 2. He says, verse 20, for what credit is it if, when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? Big whoop, you sin and you get in trouble for it, that's your fault. But if when you do good 
and you suffer for it, you endure. What does the Bible say? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. When you are wrong for doing good, when you are defrauded for doing good, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why? For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. What Paul says is that you can deal with this because Christ has already dealt with it for you. You wronged Christ and Christ loved you. He bore your sins in his body on a tree that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. So you can be defrauded. Why? Because we have an example of one who was treated such a way. And we are now called Christians. Christ followers. Followers of Jesus. And because that we look at him to be our example. And we entrust ourselves to him, God, who judges justly. Do you think if you are defrauded, $10,000, that you're not going to get more in, in eternity? 100000 The principle is this. The principle is that we want to reflect Christ with our lives. Now, I don't think this means all lawsuits for all things. I think primarily what we're seeing here is the idea of probably commercial, right? We don't have a degree, but I think if, as, as the, the, amount and the, the, uh, the amount of the defrauding and the wrongness go up, I do think things may change a little bit. I don't think this has anything to do with matters of um, violence against people. Uh, we know from, from God's word that God gave the state to punish wrongdoers. And ultimately, he gave the sword to those who, who wrong you. Uh, so if there is um, a violent act done by a brother in the church to another brother or sister in the church, that person probably should be, be handled by the, by the sword of the law. Okay? I think those, those things are different. Here, he's specifically talking, I think, about commercial issues. So uh, principles of wise judgment. These are things that we want to live through about how we, how we, how we judge ourselves. With the, with, the, with the trivial matters in, in this life. And I think this is important because things come up all the time and you have to ask yourself, what do I do? How do I handle this situation? Well, it doesn't matter if it's, it's regards to, to litigation in, in, in the church, but how do I handle this as a new creation in God's sight? How do I treat my brother who's wronged me? How do I, how do I overlook and bear with someone who's hurt my feelings? This is the, the life of a Christian. We live based on the future reality that we have been, been born again by God's Spirit, that we have His Spirit to guide us, and, and we have this wisdom, and we have this principle that, that we're called to suffer wrong, like Christ. That God will not let you handle what He Himself is not willing to handle for us. So when we think that someone has defrauded or wronged us, the first place we go is to the cross. Jesus has been wronged and defrauded far more by you than that person has to you. Your sin deserves eternal hell. Your sin, eternal, where there is weeping and gnashing in teeth, where the worm does not die, 
unquenchable fire. That's what your sin against the holy God brought you. And what does Christ give you? Mercy. He bore your sins in his body. That you might die to sin. And that sin is including defrauding or wronging your brother. Because he wants you to live to righteousness. Righteousness or right living is reflecting the rightness of a great God to the world. That's the calling of the church. Principles of wise judgments. Number two is, is, is very similar. Principles of wise judgment. Singular. Principles of the wise judgment. Look at verse 9. Or do you not know, again, Paul saying this, because it's obvious that they know the answer, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's interesting that I, we've probably heard that passage, this passage that it's about to read quoted thousands of times, but we don't connect it in the context of lawsuits and wronging and defrauding our brother. But this idea of, of when we wrong or defraud our brother and not willing to bear with them, but to, to sue them in, in the public eyes, or how about this, not to, to go to them in private, but to publicly shame them on Facebook. It happens among the people of God. It's pathetic. To our shame. To the church in the West, shame. It's ridiculous. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The wicked will not know Christ. They will not have the, the new heavens and the new earth. Obviously, there were some in Corinth, both in the issue of sexual immorality and greed and money, both of those are mentioned in this list, who thought that they were okay because they made a one-time profession. They thought they were okay because they were in the, the community of the saints that didn't really care much about sin. What do we see here? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Uh, I, was, I was with someone this week, and I said, you know, uh, go home and just do a quick search of how often do you see do not be deceived in your Bibles. It's all over the place. Do not be deceived. Meaning, guess what? We could be deceived. The fact that he needs to remind us again and again and again and again is that we have the ability to be deceived. The heart is deceitful above all things. Right? We, we know this from, from, from God's word. Do not be deceived. Then he has this list here. Neither the sexually immoral... Just the word porneia, those who practice all forms of immorality. Nor idolaters, those who bow down to another god who place something in the place of God. That means those who place sports in the place of God. Those who place family in the place of God. Those who place work or, or body image in the place of God. Those who worship the, something other than the one true God. Nor adulterers, those who practice fornication against their spouse. Nor men who practice homosexuality. Now we know from Romans 1 that Paul talks about um, uh, homosexuality between women and men, but it's very clear. It's those who practice homosexuality. Nor thieves, those who have defrauded you, right? That's what it's saying. Those who have, have given you, um, have, 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 not, have taken something from you, whether it's money or something else. Nor the greedy, very similar. Those who live for money and, and, and the, the love of money nor drunkards, those who live their life to get drunk, get drunk by the drink, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think that's an exhaustive list. There's a lot of other lists that we can name. 
The bottom line is that those who are unrighteous, those who live not according to the right way of God's way. Just let me make one, one point here just because it comes up so often in our culture. It says men who practice homosexuality. The Bible is very clear that homosexuality is a sin. But we have to be honest that we are going to have brothers and sisters in our fellowship who struggle with same-sex attraction. But if the Bible says those who practice, those who do, do not fight against those desires of same-sex attraction, but those who give themselves over to it, those are considered unrighteous. There may be people in our church who gather every Sunday morning who struggle with same-sex attraction, and they're fighting it day in and day out. Now, are we going to be the kind of place where they're going to be safe to confess that sin and that struggle to us and that we're going to walk with them and bear with them? Or are we going to shun them because we're going to place those who practice and those who struggle in the same light? Some of us may, may struggle with other kinds of immorality. The bottom line is, is what do, we, do we say that, that sin is a sin? Or do we say there's nothing, it's nothing wrong with it, there's no big deal? The people on this list are saying it's nothing wrong with it, there's no big deal. Or even if they're saying, hey, listen, this may not be, I know God may not be pleased with this, but they're giving themselves over to that, meaning that their life is defined by that sin. That's what Paul's doing here. It's those, in 1 John chapter 4, or chapter 3, those who make a practice of sinning are defined by that sin. Those who make a practice of adultery, a practice of, of drunkenness, are drunkards and adulterers. Those who make a practice of, 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 of stealing are thieves. Those who make a practice of living for money are greedy. And all of these will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, what does Paul do? One of the greatest sentences in the entire Bible. And such were some of you. We've been revilers. We've been swindlers. Adulterers. The sexually immoral. Engaged of all kinds of unrighteous and sinful behavior. But notice what does he say? Were. Were. You have been born again by the Spirit of God. That is no longer you. But you've been what? You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified by the Spirit of our God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are different. Not because of any merit that you bring to the table, but because of the, the merit of the Lord Christ himself who declared you righteous and blameless before God, the holy judge. Who is there to condemn you? It is God who justifies. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one. The one who had the power to bring a charge against you, God himself, has accepted the sacrifice of Christ in your stead. So you have been washed this picture of, of baptism, this cleaning and this cleansing of sin. You know, when, we, when we're dirty, um, so I, I painted my, my, my deck this past week uh, weekend and had brown paint uh, all over myself when I was done. After two hours, on hands and knees, paint was everywhere. And um, when I started getting clean, it didn't happen right away. Right? I didn't just you know, wash my hands and, and guess what? There's still paint on my hands. So you got to get one of those scrubbers. you got to start scrubbing that, that paint off my hands. Oh, man, there's, there's, there's some on my leg. Oh, I, got, I missed some in my hair, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a process there. This is what God means. You've been cleansed. You've been declared clean. But now God is in this process of cleansing us through his word and washing us week in and week out. 
And I think what we often want as, as a church is we want them to come in already clean, already, already pure. That's not the way the world works. God says, come dirty and I will make you clean. That's what God does with his word. But notice what it also says. It says that you are sanctified. You are sanctified past tense, just like cleansed. In God's economy, you already are clean and you already are sanctified, meaning you already set aside as holy. The way God looks at you, beloved, is holy. Without blemish. That's the way God looks at you. You know, all that he's doing here, this, 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 this um, describing of the gospel, is trying to get you to live like the gospel says you should. You should live like the, the new community of saints. Because you've been cleansed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. How can you defraud your brother? Wouldn't it be better for you to be wronged because he cleansed you? Wouldn't it be better to be defrauded because he has sanctified you? That's the, that's the weight that Paul brings to this. It's not just that I'm, I'm individually cleansed and individually I'm, I'm made new. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. How dare you, Paul would say. How dare you? You are of Christ. You belong to him. And if you belong to him, we should also live like him. And this only happens, so the sanctified, set apart as holy, justified, declared, not guilty, legal term, you're justified, no longer will you ever be condemned. And how does this happen? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It just brings to mind who you belong to. We no longer belong to ourselves. We've been bought with a price. We belong to another. Isn't that a powerful thing? That means that Jesus, whatever he says to us, we say, yes, sir. Even if it's a hard thing. Like, be willing to be defrauded for my namesake. Be willing to be homeless for my namesake. I see. I was bruised and beaten too. But when I was reviled, I did not revile in return. Neither should you. And how does this occur in our hearts? By the Spirit of God. We know all that I'm saying. It is impossible to do without the Spirit of God working in our heart. How can we forgive someone who's hurt us? How can we willingly be defrauded and suffer wrong because of Christ, but by the Spirit of, of, the, of the Holy One that dwells within us? Because what we're talking about is not natural. It makes no logical, natural sense. But we don't live in the natural. We live in the supernatural, right? We live by the power of the Spirit of God, meaning that we can do all things unto His glory. And how we conduct ourselves as a church. And how we handle the, the immoral member. And how we handle those who have wronged us within the fellowship of the saints. Because we belong to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be magnified and glorified in all the earth. First of this, beloved, you are called. Father, we thank you so much for your gospel. I thank you so much for the kindness that you have uh, sent to us uh, to redeem us, to sanctify us. And God, we just thank you so much for that last verse. And such were some of you. God, we thank you so much that we have been washed, that we have been sanctified. 
that we have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.